Morning, guys. It's so good to be with you this morning. It's funny when I think when Brendan said we both should go up, Lizette was like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> he didn't tell me. <laughs> so I think she got a bit of a pride there for a moment. But um, yeah, it's really cool to be with you this morning. And uh, yeah, seeing pictures of the camp is just really cool. We were also there last weekend. And we were part of the team that made the amazing Irish too. So uh, we were divided into different groups, and uh, each group had to make food from different countries. We got Ireland, which is a bit of a low, a low blow, because it's like, it has to, food has to be bland. That's the only thing. <laughs> no offense if you're Irish, but it was really, it was really tricky. But yeah, and um, one of the other things I just wanted to say quickly was a few weeks ago, I shared a little bit about our testimony and some of the stuff that Lizette and I are journeying through. And we've really been receiving a lot of um, care and comfort from this community, which is really cool. It's, it's great if you're vulnerable like that and um, people really come alongside you. Um, so Lucy and, and, and Frank also prayed with us at camp and I was just so inspired by Lucy's fervent prayer because it's also the kind of prayer that you're like, yo, this person really believes what she's praying. And sometimes when your faith dwindles a bit, it's really cool to have people come alongside you. So that's really cool. And, and thank you for everyone that's, that's, that's really been um, journeying with us and through this with us. So that's really been amazing. So today we are continuing with our ser- um, series on James. And if, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you'll um, know that it's not the kind of it's not the kind of sermons and it's not the kind of series that you go away with a warm, fuzzy feeling necessarily every Sunday because it, it really is tough. You know, it's like some of those training programs that you get where they say to you, well, if this doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. So the, the book of James, whenever you're working through it and whenever you're preaching through it, it's, I have to say this, if, you, if it doesn't hurt a little bit, you're not doing it right. And um, some of the guys that are here today, visitors, um, some of Vess and Antoinette's friends know me from way back, and some of you might be like, Yo, I'm not sure you're in, a, you're in a position to lecture us on this stuff. And you're right, I'm not in a position to, the, to do that because my life isn't perfect. But as we lift the word up this morning, we are called to look at Christ, Christ's perfection. So I get to sit with you in that front row and be challenged with you. So please don't think that I'm standing here and waving a perfect life and telling you, imitate me. No, I think we've got a perfect Lord and Savior that we can imitate. So that will be a stumbling block to you if you look at my life this morning and think, um, let's see if this guy, um, yeah, if he's actually, if he has the the ability to lecture to us. Um, So just to remind us again what the context is in the book of James. So James is writing to a group of early, early, early church people, basically Jewish converts in the first century, and one of the mistakes that we can make reading this is thinking that he's writing to people that are very privileged or in very comfortable positions, but actually these people are being persecuted. So he's writing to people that are um, in, in a very difficult environment, and he's writing some of these very challenging things to them. So let me, let me just pray for us before we get into the scripture. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we, we pray that your word would would move us, Lord. We pray that yeah, there's, there's something that your word does which I don't have the skill to do, and that is to lift up those who are afflicted and to, and to um, challenge those who are, are, need to be humbled, Lord. And I, I, that is something that I don't have the skill to do. But Lord, I pray that as your word comes into our hearts this morning, that, that it would either move us 
to humility or it would, it would comfort us. But I pray that we would not walk away from, from your word this morning unmoved, Lord. I pray for that, and I pray that, yeah, that as we, as we spend time in your word, that you would come and walk from these pages into our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So we're in James 1, verse 19 to 27 this morning. Some of you might be like, yo, we've been in James for a couple of weeks. We're still in James 1. We're spinning a little bit. I think we are spinning a little bit. It's also because it's some really challenging stuff to work through. So uh, I'll read for us from, from verse 19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hero who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, deceive, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the one thing that we'll, we'll make a mistake here this morning is if we think, you know, sometimes some, someone writes a letter to you or they, in a conversation, they go off track a little bit. You know, they, they like just get a little bit passionate and, say what passionate and say something that they don't necessarily mean. And it's out of context with the other stuff that they're saying. But if we look at this specific scripture and other parts of James, it fits in exactly in, into other parts of James. It actually echoes some of the messages in other parts of James. In James 1, uh, we are told to test the genuineness of our faith. So it, this is not the kind of sermon where, and I know that we've got this culture where we come and we sip sermons like cappuccinos and we rate them afterwards and we like this guy, we don't like that guy. This is not that kind of scripture. The scripture actually challenges you to the very core. It, it challenges, asks you the question, how genuine is your faith? So it's, it's actually quite, quite a challenging one. Um, in James 2, it talks about uh, the fact that faith without works is dead, dead, and this also ties in with what we are going to speak about today. In James 3, it talks about taming the tongue, also echoes of that in the scripture. And in James 4, there's a warning against worldliness, and the scripture also tells us to resist worldliness. So it's, it really is in line with, uh, with other parts of James, and it's also in line with, uh, with other parts of scripture. So... I've, I've read some commentaries, and I agree with that, that I think James is actually, in this, in this scripture, he's quoting what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. There's a section in James 7, verse 24 to 27, where he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3, has a similar, has a similar picture. Um, 
It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So, if you look at the scripture, it's, it's quite cool the way that he structures the, um, the, 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 the message, basically. He, the, in the beginning, in verse 19 to 20, he says to us, he uses the words, uh, he uses words to get our attention. He says, know this. So it's actually, he, he's drawing our attention to the, the fact that he's about to say something very important. And he also uses a language like beloved brothers. So it tells us that one, this message is trustworthy because it's coming from someone that was close to them. And also it tells us the message that this is actually quite important. In, in verse 21 to, to 22, then, there's a bit, bit that he talks, to, talks to about, us about what we should do. There's instruction that is given. And then in verse 23 to 25, he illustrates that. So he, he knows that we are quite forgetful, so he helps us out with a, with a picture of a man who looks at a, a mirror and then walks away and forgets what he's like. And he likens that to someone who hears, hears God's word and doesn't do that. And then lastly, he also gives us a picture of what it looks like. What does what truly re- religion look like? If we say that we have to be hearers and doers of the word, what does it look like? And he, he basically says to them, well, he uses this example of, of, of widows and orphans, and I think he does it because it's something that's not really natural to, to them. He's telling them there's going to be this temptation to be drawn to worldliness, but I'm telling you that sometimes you have to really push yourself to, to, to um, be the work of God in, 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 your, in your community, and it's not going to be natural to you. And I think in our case, um, if I look at our lives in, in Durbanville and in Cape Town, we live in one of the most unequal societies in the world. We've got constantly before us brokenness, and we constantly have before us excess. And we have the opportunity to be drawn to excess and run away from brokenness, but this scripture actually says, no, no, resist worldliness and push towards the brokenness of the world. So um, just to give us a bit of structure around what the scripture is like. And when I saw these little babies earlier, I thought about this is actually in line with the main idea of, of the scripture today is that we, in verse 18, it says that we've received an implanted word. When we were reborn in, in Christ, it was done by the word. This word is humbly received when we walk it out, when we are, are doers of the word and not hearers only. And if I look at these little kiddos earlier, and I think, yeah, they look very olic today, and it, it looks like they're never going to do a bad thing in their lives. I'm, I'm going to make the grannies very angry now, but there are going to be days when these little angels don't walk exactly on the straight and narrow, and the parents are going to say something like, because they're Afrikaans, they'll say something like, isn't it worrying which basically, it's in line with the thing that if I look at your life, I can tell how well you are hearing by the way that you're operating. And we say that to kids, and this scripture also tells us the mo- this morning that the quality of your hearing is evident in, the, in, in what your life looks like. Um, yeah, and we can easily make the mistake of thinking that the Bible is full of cold instruction and that we need to really just psych ourselves up enough or really read enough heartwarming scriptures and then just um, sort of coldly obey what's going on. But 
if we're looking at if we look at uh, verse 18, it says, no, no, we, we were reborn in the word. So it's not something that comes from man. It's something that comes from God. His word communicates the depths of who God is to the depths of who we are. The um, other parts of scriptures talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ. There are parts of who God is that we'll never, we'll never be able to understand or rationally um, understand it or read, read a good book that really now puts us on the right track. There's a living word of God that really challenges us and really moves us and shapes us. And um, yeah, Jonathan Edwards writes four books. He was quite serious about the topic of how do you know that your faith is real? And one of, in one of the books he says, for him the key thing is how people respond when they come into the presence of God's living word. If you place your, your life under something in God's word that's really challenging, you become angry and say, this is bizarre, I, I, I can't, this is from 2,000 years ago, I, I can't shape my life according to this. Or are you humbly challenged by God's word? Um, one of my favorite quotes outside of the Bible is from Jonathan Edwards, and he says, a truly humble man is sensible of his natural distance from God, of his dependence on him, of the insufficiency of his own power and wisdom, and that it is by God's power that he is upheld and provided for, and that he needs God's wisdom to lead and guide him, and his might to enable him to do what he ought to do for him. So, it talks about a natural distance between us and God. And I think most of us, if we're honest today, would agree that there is this natural distance between us and God. I think the, the day that we become comfortable with that distance is a problem. And that very distance is also then shown in there's everywhere in our Bible and the things that we know are true. If we, if we take that and we, we compare our lives to that sometimes, we found wanting. And I think we are supposed to be uncomfortable with that gap. The Bible says that the gap is there. But we'll see that this morning that there are very real and prevalent obstacles in our lives that really challenge us, uh, prevent us from, from actually closing that gap constantly. And there's a, there's a bit of a, a warning this morning that in that I think we'll make the mistake to think that, um, yeah, we all, none of us is perfect. I think there's, this, there's that um, understanding now in most churches, church communities that, hey, Church is not perfect, you know, we, we all, everyone's, everyone's welcome, doesn't matter who you are or what your, your life is like, everyone's welcome, but I think the, the danger is that we get into a rhythm where we never challenge one another to become better, and I'm not saying we should become moralistic, but I'm saying that the Bible also re requires us to be holy, the Bible also demands holiness from us. So we, we can easily slip into this thing where like all unholy together and it's cool, we are, um, yeah, we're all sinners and it's really, but we, uh, the growth is then lacking. So what are some of the, the obstacles that, that, we, that we face when, when uh, we, we try to, um, yeah, just try to be more obedient to God's word? And I think one of the, one of the key things is also found in the scripture. It talks about someone that is, is quick to anger and quick to, to speak. I think for some of us, you, the way that you live your life out there, 
The moment someone tells you something to do, you are immediately irritated, you are immediately angry, and the mouth starts doing this. And the, the, the problem with that is that if you live your life like that, where people can't ever tell you what to do, people can never challenge your ways, don't expect that you'll come to the Word of God and be all of a sudden, yeah, you are a different person. God speaking, challenging you, and you are just wonderfully responding to that. But out there, you are this angry <laughs> person that's quick to anger. This is, I think that is something that is a challenge to us. But also, if we look at our culture today, there's some very real obstacles in the way that culture sees not only the Bible, but um, the way that we should do life. And one of, the, one of the things is that the way that culture shapes us will come to the Word and will say, you know what, I'm only going to do the stuff that makes sense to me. Um, I'm going to rationally figure out what's going on. The stuff that makes sense, I'll apply in my life. And, you know, when God asks, challenges me to do something, I'll, I'll, I'll just measure it, make sure it's reasonable. And the problem with that is two things. God is actually then never in a position to contradict you. And I want to ask us, when, when last did God change your mind about something? You were going in a direction, and God said, uh-uh, this, this way. Maybe through the, the Word, maybe through someone that came to speak to you. When last did, I, did that happen? Um, the second challenge, I think, culturally is we've got this way that we consume information. Um, people have called it confirmation bias. So you look for people online and voices into your life that, that just confirms what you believe already. So we also, we, we, we've got this danger where we come to this word and we just look for stuff that confirms the way that we operate already. And then we'll never grow because we'll, we'll just basically look for, you know, to shape the word uh, in the way that we want it to, to fit our agenda. And it's something that's actually quite limiting to us. If we are constantly shaping the word to fit our agenda, but not, it, not letting the word shape us. Um, lastly, I think some of us are so set in our ways that it's a life event for us if, um, if someone actually says to us, hey, actually you're doing this thing wrong, you should be doing that. And it's literally on the scale of we're living, on, we're living in communities where people are like, hey, you're not supposed to put your trash bin there, you're supposed to put it here. And we're like, ah, oh, I'm offended by that. And I think it's because we've, we've got this culture where we really, really want to be right about stuff all the time, which, is, which I think is a challenge to us. But, so that's the cultural stuff. But I think the biggest challenge that we have is not from outside. It's actually, it's in here. And what I mean by that is, I think our obedience is not a, um, the, the fact that we're not always that obedient to God's word is not a technique problem. It's a character issue. And um, Jonathan Edwards, I'm leaning a lot on him because he was good in this, with this stuff. But he, was, he said that actually there's three marks of a proud heart that you can see as warning lights, that you might not be hum walking and receiving God's word as humbly as you should. The first thing is that you always feel like you're right on every point. A point is important to you if it's your, it's your, if it's your point. You know, if you've got views about the Bible and God and theology and stuff like that, but some of us are so obsessed about being right that you literally cannot distinguish between what are the big things that we should not be moved on. So there are big things that we should never be moved on. 
who Christ is, what he did for us on the cross, how that works, works itself out into our lives. Those are things that we, we hold as unchangeable. It's okay for us to be set on, in our ways with that stuff because we are really we, we are confident that we have found our worth in, the, in the, what Jesus did on the cross. And that is the kind of stuff that we shouldn't be moved on. But there are small things, um, smaller things and things that we can sometimes be wrong on. And then think that that thing in you where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm always right is, is a challenge. The second one, the second one is actually this tendency of, that we have to be more obsessed about how people see us than about our holiness. So if there's a thing that you struggle with and you know that it, this is actually something that is limiting your ability to walk well with God, you can very easily limit your ability to grow in that thing if you don't share it with people. But sharing it with people might not make you look that great, you know, and, and then we start trying to be like, oh, I'll just figure it out myself. But at some point, it's easier for us to actually grow and mature uh, in the things that we're sinning, uh, sin, where we are actually captured by sin, or we feel like there's an a- a- aspect of our lives that we need growth in. I think sometimes it's better for us if someone comes alongside us. So transparency is difficult for us because we we are more concerned about what we look like for others than, than holiness. And then lastly, um, another mark of a proud heart is if you're constantly unhappy with the state of the world and the hand that's been dealt to you, if you're like constantly looking at your life and your job and the way things are, and you're constantly like, oh, yeah, if it was only like this, if it was only like this, I think what that does is it starts telling you that if I could only have the pen to write the story of my life and not God, things would go better. The problem with that is the day that God then comes and says to you, you're going here, I want you there, you'll be like, oh, oh, but actually, remember, I'm actually the guy who's supposed to be holding the pen. So I think those are the obstacles within us that, that make it really difficult for us to, um, yeah, difficult for us to be Christ followers in the sense that we, we really obey him even when it's difficult. We said earlier that these parents are challenged to walk with God even when it's difficult. These are the things that will actually challenge us in those times. So um, this morning as we look at such a difficult scripture, we can easily become entangled with moralism. And the difference between moralism and lives of repentance is actually that if you are moralistic, you are more concerned about changing your behavior by what, what the actual cause is. If we look at Psalm 51, Psalm 51, David, um, the, the very f- famous sin, we don't have to go into that detail this morning, but it's sin that we all heard a lot about. But in Psalm 51, he doesn't say, hey, I actually killed God, I'm so sorry, I killed someone's um, husband in order to hide my sin. And He doesn't speak about that. He says, Lord, uh, renew my heart, create in me a new heart. He knows that the essence of the problem is not what he's done. So he's, yes, what he's done is bad, but it actually points to something in here that's not right. And so as we, as we come to scriptures like this, we are called to repentance. We are called to say, well, God, there's something wrong in my heart. I'm like that little kid where the parent says, oh, it didn't work any. And it's because we, we, we haven't heard well. And, we, and the, the challenge then for us is to constantly make sure that we are aligning our hearts with what 
what God's already been doing. He's already grafted this living word inside of us. And the, the great thing about that is it's also a promise that you will never be joyful again about the things that this world has to offer because a new heart, a new word has been grafted into you. And if you walk outside of that, you will not be happy. And it's amazing because God has literally grafted your deepest joy and your obedience. He has grafted that together. So it's not called obedience this morning that we are called to. We are actually called to be obedient to the very, the, the deep word, living word that God has grafted into us. Um, if you're here this morning and you're a, not a Christ follower, I want to just ask you to please, when you hear this message, realize that don't let the, the fact that we are not good doers as, as, as Christians be an obstacle to you. Don't let our lives, if you look at our lives in the Word, yes, you will see that it, it falls short. Our message to you is not that we are amazing, be like us. Our message is that we serve a, a God who did everything for us on the cross so that we, uh, what we do is not how we are held accountable with the Father. We receive um, the works that, that Jesus did on the cross. We get the, the, we, we get the reward for his, for his obedience. And as, as Christ followers, I want to say to us that we often make this mistake where we, we know that when we, are, when we are saved, when we are justified, we are justified, justified by Christ's work on the cross. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a righteousness that works itself from outside in. So it works itself from Christ's work on the cross, eventually works itself from outside in into our hearts. We should not make the mistake of thinking we will... I don't feel in right standing with God. Let me do, let me work that salvation from outside in. Let me try and create works that actually eventually made me feel right with God. The scripture says, no, no, no. We actually have to be constantly pushing and asking God to change our hearts so that that eventually flows from the inside, from inside what's going on here, into, into our hearts. Um, it's also goes to the, the, the illustration that, um, that James uses of a mirror. And I think that it's, it's interesting if you, if you consider the fact that it's 2,000 years ago, those were not mirrors, that, the kind of mirrors that we use today. So often people didn't even know what they looked like in those times. So they probably had something like a sort of polished metal that they used as, as a mirror. And when he says that... Um, if we don't hear and do, we are like someone that looks at their face in the mirror and forgets what they look like. It was really a reality in those times that people don't, didn't always actually know what they looked like. It's actually fascinating to think about that. But what we are called to in the, in the Scriptures is that we actually get to come to the Gospel, get to come to the cross and, and look at ourselves and actually be, be um, okay with the way that we look like. And we actually look at ourselves and we're like, Oh, this is tough. You're like the prophet Isaiah when he sees God in, in his full glory. His response is, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. But yes, there's grace at the cross. Yes, there's forgiveness. But it has to take us past the fact that be real with who we are. We will not be desperate for forgiveness if we don't look ourselves full in the mirror and look at who we really are. And um, I think Heather said last week, you, you don't really 
I'm going to paraphrase now because I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was a C.S. Lewis quote, which she said, you don't realize how much forgiveness you need until you try to be obedient to God's word. So I think also that we see who we truly are when we try to walk out the things that this word is telling us to do. And um, yeah, what, one of the things that I always think back, think about is um, one of, when I was doing my articles, one of my friends, he said to me the one day, he was very nervous, and he said to me, can, I, can we speak today? There's something big I need to talk to you about. And he's like very nervous all day. And at some point, um, we chat, and he says to me, yeah, there's some, something I've been meaning to tell you. And he's like, but he's super nervous, and he's um, was like, Yo, what is this going to be? He's like, actually, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian. I, I'm an atheist. And I said to him, can I, no offense, but actually, I, thought, I knew that. <laughs> But, and I said to him, but let's make this real. Let's make sure this relationship, it's quite cool. We can learn from each other. I want to know from you. I've picked up that you've got some resentment towards Christians. What, is the, what are the things that Christians, well, what, are they, what do we do that irritates you? And I thought he was going to say something like, we are too radical, or we do this or that. But he actually said to, to me, you know what? If I look at what your Bible says and what your lives look like, I don't feel like you're radical enough. I don't look at your life and think, yeah, um, they believe this, uh, this thing about God, who, Jesus who died for them in, on the cross, and heaven and hell and all that stuff. I don't see that and your life being in sync. And that, for me, is a problem. And I'll never forget that conversation because it also tells us that, man, I think we should constantly remind ourselves the, the absolute magnitude of the stuff that we actually believe in. And we should ask ourselves, is my life reflecting that? Um, one of the, I read a cool book a while ago where the guy says, he was chatting to guys in a small town somewhere in South Africa, and the guys are Dwemini, and they said to, the, to, this, to this Dwemini, we're so chuffed, we have like seven churches in our town, and there's now only three orphans, and it's really cool. And he's like, if there are seven churches, how are there still three orphans? And, but it's, it's actually it's a challenge to us because our country, our country is one of the most unequal societies in the world, which I think can, can be a constant like, thorn in our shoe or it can be an amazing opportunity for us. I think we, as I said, we, we have this living word that was grafted into us. We should know that God has made it impossible for us to look at the, the brokenness and the excess in our society and to just indulge in its excess and find our worth in that, we can actually tell ourselves this morning that it is impossible for us. We don't even have to go into that avenue. We will not find satisfaction and fulfillment in that avenue. Actually, our joy as Christ followers is found in pushing towards the brokenness. I, th I don't think there's a more radical testimony that our society needs in our time than a people who have the opportunity to push to the excess, but pushing towards the brokenness. This morning, as, as I close, I, I really pray that, that our hearts are like the men on, on the road to Emmaus who saw the, the risen Christ, and they said to themselves, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the word to us? I pray that the humility, the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross really lifts us up this morning. We, we find hearing and doing as a concept displayed to us beautifully at the cross. 
the Father wills salvation. Jesus responds to that by becoming salvation. He does. He walks within the, the will of the God. He walks out that obedience. Now the Spirit is continuing to work that out in us. He's busy creating in us the, the bride, the, the reward that Jesus deserves for his suffering on the cross. For me, that's, a, that's an amazing thought to think, I am part of what, what Jesus' reward for his suffering on the cross is. And because of that, I can know that, yes, my life is here. It's supposed to be here. If I look, if I look at the, my life through the mirror of the Word this morning, I fall short terribly. But I know that the good work that has been started in me will be continued and fulfilled, not because of who I am, not because God owes, owes me progress or he owes me maturity, but because I am the reward for the suffering of Jesus on the cross. And you will make sure that that reward is amazing. So I've, my prayer for us this morning is, if we have fallen out of step with the work of the Spirit, really grafting and continuing to, to work this word into our lives, my prayer is that we would once again give the reins of our lives to God so that every day as we wake up, we, there's this voice that's going to tell you, man, you've tried this before. You're going to fail again. But the word says that his mercy is new every morning. Every morning we get to think, today, Lord, I will do my best. I will listen to your voice. I will try to be in step. And this is the promise to us, that God is there every day. Every day it's like, let's try again today. Let's walk together today. And it's an amazing thing for us because God doesn't, every morning when you wake up, say, well, we're going to really try again today. We failed like the previous 20,000 days, but let's, let, today is going to be different. He doesn't do that. He would be completely reasonable if he did that. I mean, I, I sometimes look at myself and like, yeah, I, I really hope this day you do it differently. But God is not like that. Like, you know what, today I want to walk with you. So my prayer is for us to be constantly in that place and really responding like that. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, it's amazing to me that the same Jesus who pre preached the Sermon on the Mount and said these words that we should be hearers and doers of the Word, building lives on the rock, is the same Jesus that we get to, to pray to this morning. And Lord, we want to say that these words sometimes lift us up in a moment and then when we walk away, we fail to, to live changed lives. And we pray, Lord, that it wouldn't be like that today. I pray that, it would, that we would really feel some fire in our bones, Lord, that we are, living, we are walking in the midst of a living God who has implanted in us a living word, Lord. And I pray that, like when Solomon asked for wisdom, you gave him, um, you gave him exceeding understanding and a big heart. I pray, Lord, that you would engraft in us again this morning a sharp discernment that doesn't come from reading books or being people that are read up on your word, Lord, but a sharp discernment that comes from w walking out this, this life with you on a daily basis. And Lord, I pray that you would enlarge in our hearts today, Lord, as we find ourselves in one of the most unequal societies in the world. Enlarge in our hearts, Lord. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. I pray that you would really restore the drive that some of the last few years have stolen from us. 
Come and restore that fire in our bones, Lord. And I pray that you would give us direction and, and courage. In Jesus' name, amen.